0: Just listen as I read something that might be familiar to you. King David's time to die drew near. He charged Solomon, his son, saying on his deathbed Son, I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, to keep his commandments and his ordinances, to keep his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all you do and wherever you turn so that the lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me saying if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul you shall not lack a man on the throne of israel it's first kings chapter 2 the first four verses there's a phrase here show yourself a man it's an interesting phrase It's actually an older English phrase that kind of has held over in some of the modern translations. Literally, it means be a man, become a man. You could even say in our common vernacular, man up, step up to the plate. It's your time now. We're studying a series on marriage and the family, kind of taking a break away from, from our verse by verse exposition of the Gospel of Mark and uh i i I am humbled to tell you that we are already three weeks behind as a certain pastor whose name robs with Bob uh <laughs> predicted um, but as we kind of debrief on our Tuesdays with each other, I think this is needed just a little peek behind the curtain, all five of us, Adam and Aaron and Myril and Bob and I get together every Tuesday morning for our staff meeting. And the first thing we do is we, we go back over the service and the sermon and we, we give critique and give feedback. So helpful to me. These men love my, my ministry and love my heart enough to say that was good, that wasn't, that was clear, that wasn't. But one of the things that keeps coming up is why are you in such a hurry to finish this series? And uh, honestly, because I want to get back to Mark. But the more we're into this series, I realize that this is a place as a church at Mission Road. We need to pull over and and spend some time. So this is week, I don't know, three or four-ish on the man. And I think we're gonna spend one more week this today in talking about what it means to be a godly man. In fact, we're gonna circle our 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 foundation around the pillars of that. What does it mean to be a biblical man? When you put all the commands of Scripture in the biblical blender and you kind of spit it out, this is what it is. Three things. Now, this is not our outline, so just hold on with me. He is a loving leader. He is a sufficient provider. And he is a selfless protector. This will come back a lot, especially when we talk about submission next week with a woman. Who wouldn't, as a wife, want to find a man who is this kind of husband To follow and submit to. He's a loving leader. He provides leadership. He knows where he's going. And he takes his wife and his family and others around him. Who will listen to him to greener pastures of godliness. He is a sufficient provider. Timothy said, Paul was told by, Timothy was told by Paul. If a man will not work, neither let him eat. And if a man will not care for his, the needs of his family. He's worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. One of my roles as a husband and as a leader of my family is to be a provider, to give the, the home what it needs, the, the family what they need. If that means multiple jobs, if that means late nights, if that means taking on other assignments, that's, that's just what it means. And also a selfless protector. It should be instinctive for the leader of a home to protect his family. I find it interesting that this is not always seen in the animal kingdom. I was in Africa on a safari a few years ago with a guide who was telling us that the wimps of the animal kingdom, strangely enough, are male lions. The lionesses are the protectors. In fact, there are many accounts of lionesses killing male lions when they come near the the cubs, well, that may be the case in the lion kingdom. It is not the case in the human kingdom. We are called to be selfless protectors. Let me say it as simply as I can. If, a, if someone, an intruder comes into your house, men, you ought to be the first line of defense, not hiding behind your wife and children as we see terrorists do in the Middle East. How do we become a loving leader, a sufficient provider, and a selfless protector? How do we become that kind of man? Look in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a, a climax of a passage that Paul has been instructing Timothy on how to be a man of God in the church, but also how to be a man of God before God and before the people who know him, not just in ministry. 1 Timothy 4:16 gives us some categories. We're just going to borrow from these categories. This is going to be a topical sermon. I'm I'm always a little out of uh, out of my comfort zone we do topical sermons. It's like playing football or soccer on a field with no lines. You just can go all over the world or all over the Bible. 1 Timothy 4:16 says this. Pay close attention to yourself. That's character. And to your teaching, that's what you know, that's content. Persevere in these things, that's commitment. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's competency. Beginning this fall, we're going to start a cycle that will happen for the second time. This cycle will start the first Thursday after Labor Day. And the men of our church, all of you are invited to come. We meet at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings and we study for an hour. And we have a two-year curriculum. This two-year curriculum covers each of these four pillars that we're going to talk about this morning for a whole semester, for three months. What I want to do is, it's too full this morning. I'm going to summarize it as much as I can in just a few minutes. I also want this to be an unashamed advertisement, men, for you to join us this fall in this two-year cycle. We do fall and spring, take the summers off, and take a, a month off at Christmas. And we study how to be this kind of man in great detail. If that's not enough motivation for you, wives, tell your husband. How much it would mean to you if he went and got his act together. For, no, if he went to this uh, to our study together. So let's just dial this in and look at this from a kind of a high altitude. The man we want to be, a loving leader, a sufficient provider, selfless protector, means we focus on at least four pillars for such a life. I want to show you then four pillars. Of a godly man's life. Four pillars of a godly man's life. These pillars are built on the foundation of the Word of God and they hold up the roof under which we live. The first pillar is character. Character. Paul told Timothy, pay close attention to yourself. Pay close attention to yourself. How do we do that? Now, what I want to do is something that's that's, that's going to be so fast, you're going to get biblical whiplash if you're not careful. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Back a chapter. Paul identifies the men that God wants to lead his church. These are... Elder qualifications, overseer qualifications. This is a list of the kind of man, listen, God entrusts his own children to. That's significant. I want to go over these characteristics, these qualifications very quickly because these are not characteristics that an elder becomes after he's an elder. These are characteristics that should be, in fact, you can find every one of these characteristics commanded of all Christians somewhere else in the New Testament. But these are summarized as, this is the summation of a life that God intends to identify as shepherds and leaders of his church. Let me say it another way. This is the gold standard that all men should aspire to And those who are making progress in that, God picks to lead his church. It might surprise you to know that there is not a higher standard for elders and pastors in the church. There's no higher standard. No higher standard. There's only a higher accountability to the only standard, which is to be a godly man. This is the standard God expects for all of us men. This is what he's looking for us to become. Please listen, in progress and not in perfection. You're gonna go over this list with me in a moment. You're gonna go, if you gave yourself a one to 10 on each of these, you'd probably go six, eight, nine, 10, 3 three. Let's not even evaluate that one. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. It's an honorable saying. If a man aspires, desires the office of overseer, it is a kalos th- ergon, a fine work, a good thing that he wants to do, that he desires to do. An overseer then must be, these are the qualifications we find in a man that are already extant. And those are the men that God moves into leadership. Just put the church leadership aside for a minute. These are the, the things that God calls us to do, to be, to know, men. This is our character above reproach. This means that our reputation is free from the stain of anything, throwing anything at us that would stick very much. Oh, you can find anything in everyone's character that are issues. But is there something in our life That makes us not above reproach. Let me say it this way. A consistent sin. A consistent habit. A consistent negligence. A consistent hobby. Is there something that we pursue. That if people looked at us. They would say that's reproachable. That's not. That's not consistent. With a man who walks with God. He's above reproach. It doesn't mean he's above accusation for anything. Just live with me for an hour. And you'll find that's not true. But above reproach means his reputation is, and then he gives us this list. I really believe that above reproach here and in Titus are the umbrella categories under which all of the other categories really explain and flesh out. What does that mean? First of all, he's the husband of one wife. Now, if you're if you're thinking about you know, uh, an ancient Near Eastern culture where the man has multiple wives, you'll say, well, that, that one's pretty easy. It's only legal for me to have one wife in this state, so I'm not gonna worry about that. No, no, that's not what this means. It literally means a one-woman man. There are men who can be married to one woman, but their mind is not occupied by that single woman. A one-woman man means the wife that God has given him Occupies all and his only affections for a female. He's a one woman man. This has to do with your thought life. This has to do with your interaction with, with the women that you work with and the women that you know, the women at church, the women in your neighborhood. It means you are a one woman man. This doesn't mean that we as men don't have female friends. Of course we do. It just means in the object of our affections and our care. We are devoted to one woman. He says next, temperate. That means alert, watchful, vigilant, clear-headed. You're a thinker, prudent. <laughs> That's our old word that we found in Titus a few uh, uh, months ago, and we studied that. It's it's self-controlled. You have self-control. Can I tell you what self-control means? Because I read an article on this this word and it was very convicting. Self-control means that you can, you have control over your pleasures. Obviously that has to do with visceral pleasures and sexual pleasures, but it also has to do with dietary pleasures. Do we really need six pieces of pizza? I mean, wouldn't five, no, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't two do or one? Self-control. We're in control of our decisions that affect ourselves. That's what it means. Respectable. This just simply means people who look to you, look to you as a man who is appropriate. He knows how to act in any given situation. Hospitable. This is, my, my wife and I always laugh about this one as an elder. She says, one of the things I'd like to have a discussion with God about is, He says the man is to be hospitable, but that typically falls to me when you invite people over. I I was hospitable by marrying a hospitable woman. She said, okay. That's gonna be a long lunch conversation. Hospitable means that we are, we have homes, we lead our homes in such a way that anyone who could, who might need to stay with us, could. We're not those people who never have anyone over. Literally means love of strangers. It doesn't just mean having your church friends over, which you should. That's another word. It means you are always ready to house strangers, unknown Christians, missionaries, who are coming through the area who need a place to stay. Able to teach. Listen, able to teach is different than being gifted to teach. We'll come back to that one in a moment. You have the ability to know what you believe and to articulate it. Not addicted to wine. It just means that, this this goes beyond just drunkenness. There's another word for that. Not addicted to wine means you're not known as someone who needs to be near alcohol. I don't have time to go into, we've studied this many times in the past. The Bible does not teach an absolute abstinence from alcohol. It does teach self-control with alcohol. It does teach not being addicted to it, which did, this means not being, having a reputation of going to it. You can even abstain from being drunk and have a bad reputation if you're always being drawn to alcohol. That's the point here. Pugnacious. This, it literally means you're a puncher, a giver of blows. You're not violent. Even on the softball field, I'm not joking when I tell you that I know a friend who probably 10 years ago, it was before I came to Mission Road, he was a pastor, and I don't know why I'm smiling when I'm telling you this. They had to do away with their church softball team because too many of the guys were taking it too seriously and being pugnacious, sliding into second, but that's for another time. Gentle means you don't hold a grudge. You're gentle and gracious. You're not rough Not abusive, peaceable. That means you don't argue, you're not quarrelsome. Free from the love of money. It doesn't say free from money. If God has given you money, praise God, use it for for the good of people and His kingdom. But you don't love money, your whole life is not consumed with looking at how to get more money. He must be one who manages his own household well. You are the loving leader of your home. Keeps his children under control with all dignity. It doesn't mean we can guarantee their salvation, but it does mean when we say yes and no, they understand what yes and no mean. We're going to have a whole series on that in just a few weeks. Not a new convert. This is talking about the elder uh, qualification that he might be conceited, fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. That does tell us that a lack of spiritual maturity makes us suspect to satanic attack. Good reputation, verse seven, with those outside the church so that he will not fall. Here's where we started. Into reproach and the snare of the devil. The, The whole... Uh, a section on elders here is sandwiched by being above reproach so it tis should be and if we're not we will be reproached by our reputation that's not all he goes on deacons are to be character qualified too. Men of dignity, self-controlled, not double-tongued. They say what they mean, they mean what they say. Again, not addicted to much wine, same thing. Not fond of sordid gain, not having the love of money. Holding forth the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They know what they believe and can articulate it. Titus 1, 5 to 9 is almost a mirror image of this, this list as well. Here's the point. Men, are we serious about being godly? This is not just for elders. This is for the men in Christ's church from whom the leaders of the church can easily be chosen because the trajectory of the men is going this direction. You wanna have a spirited discussion? And I mean that in a positive way. Ask your wife and children to evaluate you on these things. And say, this is the kind of man I want to be. Where do you see I need to put most attention? Character. And again, as an advertisement, we're gonna spend from September to December talking about character. Number two, second pillar for becoming a godly man is content, content. Remember back in chapter four, verse seven, pay close attention to yourself and to what you know and to your teaching. Men, this means we need to understand theology, biblical content, biblical counseling, biblical discipleship. We need to have a basic understanding of our Bibles. I'll never forget a man, I know exactly where we were sitting, who's telling me, listen, Rick, I've tried Bible content to have an impact in my life, an impact in my family. It doesn't work. And I said, wow, you must have really, really done some study and some application. I did, he says. And I said, so take me a little bit through the process of how did the book of Amos land on how you shepherd your own family? We're at lunch. He pushes back and he smiles. He says, I know what you're doing. There's no book of Amos in the Bible. I said, do you know your Bibles? Can I just can I just ask you? Look, I want to be really personal for a second. Can I just ask you a question, man? Have you read it? Have you read at some point? Not in the last year. At some point in your life, have you read every one of God's written words? At some point, it's a simple question. But you cannot be a man of the Bible unless you're reading it. Is this the "Read Your Bible More" sermon? Yes. Having a working and intimate knowledge of the Bible will lead to a working and intimate knowledge of the gospel. We've gone all this over and over. The gospel is comprised of three parts. Facts you believe, theology about those facts, and a response, repentance to that, those theological facts. Facts, theology, response. Do you have a grasp on how the gospel works, not just how it articulates? That's our content. You might say, where do I start? I want to I give you a, a good place to drill down if you want to begin getting your arms around biblical content in your life. Oh, sure, you could start in Genesis and see you in Revelation when you finish. That should be a, a goal for all of us. But you might start with our church's doctrinal statement. We've already said, this is what we believe and hold true. Just go through those. It is heavily referenced with biblical passages. Just go through one of those every week. Take one of those subjects. Read the passages that go with it. Understand how it comes together, how we systematize that. Become a systematic theologian in your home. Learn how to discern truth from error. When someone shows up at the door and they're knocking and they're gonna tell you how you should translate John 1:1 1, 1 in your Bible, do you have an answer? If someone knocks at your door and they have a white shirt and a dark tie and name tags and they tell you that if, if your wife is a, is a is a good Mormon, then she can someday die and go to heaven and be eternally pregnant. How's that for heaven, ladies? I'm not making that up. Can you defend the truth? Men, let me beg you. Eye contact, just a minute. Let me beg you. Defending truth from error is not only for the pastors and elders. It's for the men in our church. You are the theological guardians of your home. Which means you get to know your stuff. You're not gonna know it by next week or next month or next year or next decade or before you die, but you can be as J. Vernon McGee always said. Remember J. Vernon McGee? You can be on the Bible bus, always going somewhere with what you're learning from the Bible. Does anyone remember J. Vernon McGee? Okay, good. Our content. Man, there's the greatest danger in our church. Let me just be as blunt as possible. The greatest danger to Mission Road Bible Church is this that the men in our church would not take seriously knowing the word of God and the theology that flows from it. If we don't have that, we have no standard and no basis for making moral decisions, for making doctrinal decisions, for making wisdom decisions. But there is a great danger, listen, a great danger in amassing a lot of biblical content unless you're applying it. How many times do we come back to this? There is a grand difference between appreciation of the truth and application of truth. Saying you like a doctrine, saying you underlined the verse in the Bible, saying you read the book doesn't mean you're doing anything about it. That's why we have care groups. That's why we have men's Bible studies. I think think Bill Milam teaches 17 of them during a week. Is that right, Bill? Something like that? What are you doing to learn? What are you, where are you putting yourself in the way of biblical truth so you can't go around it? Men, please understand how to apply and not just to appreciate truth. Content. We pay close attention to our teaching. We know what we, we, we teach. Footnote to that, let me encourage you. Man, it's okay if you're having a, a time with your son, your daughter, your wife, and they ask you a question that you don't know. It's okay to say, you know, I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. It's not okay to say, well, that's interesting, and, I've, and then you muse and make up some third level of heresy. That, just say it, I don't know, and study content. Do you know your stuff? Do you know your stuff? If we become men of great biblical content, we will be the kind of man that women will not have trouble submitting to because we're submitting to God's word ourselves. This will come back next week. Number three. Commitment. Commitment. Paul tells Timothy, pay close attention to yourself, and to your teaching, character, content. Persevere in these things. Be committed to these things. I was adding up the years. I think it's I've been in ministry now for 38 years. If I was to do some serious reflection in my own life and in the life of the thousands of men and women that I've seen grow and learn and And progress in gospel truth and spiritual maturity. The number one characteristic of everyone who grows is that they are teachable. Are we committed to being humble and teachable? To being taught? Persevere in these things means keep learning, be committed. Two places will quickly reveal your commitments. Two places will quickly reveal your commitments and your priorities. Your calendar and your financial ledger. You want to know what's important to you? Here's an easy assessment you can do even this afternoon. You can go home, pull out your credit card statement, pull out your your checkbook, pull out your portfolio, pull out your calendar, lay it on the table, look at it, summarize what's on there and you have a list of what's important to you. Does Christ dominate your calendar. Well, I'm not saying you have 17 quiet times a day. Are are your meetings with people, are your your conversations with your family, is everything on your calendar, your your work (laughs) schedule, does that reflect your commitment to the gospel, to Christ? Jesus Christ is to be first place, not above all things, but what? In everything, And then the way we spend our money, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and mammon. Now, you gotta be careful here. I had a conversation uh, with a a gentleman in our church recently. And he he just said, well, I mean, can you spend money on anything you want? Well, of course you can. uh, The book of Ecclesiastes says, if anyone's going to enjoy the, the the things in this world, we can only if we're glorifying God with them. Now, do you need the Lamborghini? Need is a very subjective uh, uh, word in that sentence. Probably not. But just know our financial decisions reveal the commitments of our heart. What we do with time, what we do with money, most tangibly represents our priorities. What are your commitments? Are you committed to discipleship? We talk about this over and over. Do you have someone or some group of men, husbands, singles, men, do you have a group of men that you regularly meet with, meet with who don't just study the curiosities of who the sons of God were and. Genesis 6, interesting, curious discussion, but who actually get down to how are you loving your wife? How are you loving your kids? What are you doing in, your, in school as a collegian to glorify God in the way that you're studying and doing your homework? Is anyone asking you hard questions? That's discipleship. It's also in a place where you're asking others hard questions. Now this isn't a drilling kind of character assessment exam you're putting people through. You care about their lives and you want them to care about yours. This goes back to teachable. Show me a man who can be confronted and be grateful for it and I'll show you a man that God will use incredibly and deeply and powerfully enrich me. Show me a man who when someone confronts him backs away from the relationship. We're no longer friends. I don't want to hear that from you. Or I'm glad you brought up this confrontation thing because I got 12 things to tell you Same thing applies to women. And I'll show you a person who is going to be perpetually stunted in their spiritual growth. This all means that we're committed to the church as well. The longer that I'm around, I told the students this yesterday, the the longer that I am a a Christian, I, I am more and more thinking that the most important, that may be not the right way to say it, The most foundational, the most integrating theological position, belief, category is ecclesiology, is the doctrine of the church. Why? Why? Because if you look over in 1 Timothy 3 down at the end, in case I'm delayed, verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God. Listen, the pillar and support of the truth. In other words, without the church, the pillar and the support of truth is foundationless. So church is the connective tissue for our living and our theology and our teaching and our understanding. If we're gonna be teachable, we should be taught in the church, among the church with other believers. So men, are you committed? Are you committed to the right things? And then, fourthly, competency. Competency. This comes from a single word. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will, here it is, ensure. This is so important that we need to be competent in these things. What's at stake? Salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. Our competency in addressing our character, addressing our content, addressing our commitment has eternal ramifications. Specifically, this means that we know how to employ our spiritual gifts. Are you competent in knowing how God has wired you to serve the church, to serve your family, to serve the Lord in a way that people grow because they, they enjoy the gifting that God has given you. Do you know your spiritual gifts? If you don't, there's a real easy way to, to find out. N- no, don't go take the spiritual gifts inventory test. Maybe a good head start. If you wrote that in our church, we can be friends, I think. I took those. How many of you have taken spiritual gifts inventory? Boy, I took them. The problem is, if you take them this week and you take it next week, you have different spiritual gifts. It just it kind of is what mood you're in. And I've also found that when you take those tests, you typically answer the questions on how you want to be rather than how you really are. Are you an excellent teacher? Well, yes. Here's how you decide your spiritual gift. Try them all. Try serving, try teaching, try helping, try encouraging, try discerning. Try try and see where the Lord blesses you. Ask for honest feedback from the people around you. How do I most encourage people in the church? How do I most encourage people to grow? Competency does have to do with leading and teaching, formally and informally shameless plug again in our competency we'll talk about how you put together a lesson a sermon I know that there are some men getting together right now uh, with some of our pastors to learn how to do that how do you get the main point of a passage how do you get a plural noun proposition how do you get outlines where do those come from how do you illustrate how do you apply how do you get after the Greek if you don't know Greek which is a strange thing to say in this generation you can actually learn a lot about the original language because of the tools that we have Formal and informal. You know, Kim and I have talked over the years with each other a lot and with others. Most of our teaching that happens in in the Holland household is in a car sitting around. It's it's, uh, uh, sitting at a Royals game like we were a few weeks ago and we're talking about a theological uh, 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 topic. It's informal, which means you cannot have informal discussions in a competent way unless you're feeding your soul outside of those discussions. Do you know how to lead your family? We talked in the beginning about loving leadership. Now this doesn't mean, you have gotta be careful here. This doesn't mean that competency in articulating and in teaching means that you're gonna go home this afternoon and say, everybody sit down in this house. Front row, back row, couch, and floor. I have a lesson or seven to tell you, and you will listen to me. George Whitfield, nothing on me. I am going to preach to you and cause revival in this living room today. That's probably not your first move. Say, where do I start? We're going to talk about this tonight specifically, but where do I start? How about asking your wife or your kids, what is something? that you would really like to know about regarding God or the Bible. Start with a common interest, study it, come back and talk about it. Beyond that, do some spiritual assessment. If there's, if there's um, from books I've read, some, some families can have some arguments happening within, within the children's ranks. I've, I've just heard of that from movies and books and stuff. If that's the case, I hope you know that no one laughed at that that that, that's a joke my house had plenty of those that was a courtesy laugh right there thank you for that maybe you study what it means to resolve conflict you look at ephesians 4 these are principles for resolving conflict it all starts though men if i can just address you and me it all starts with us being the first humble Learners and appliers, not the dictators. Remember, we said a few weeks ago there's a ditch on one side of the road and a ditch on the other side of the road. The one ditch is a dictator and and an overbearing ogre, the other ditch is a passive, let mom and let everybody else do what they want. No, no, we need to be in the middle, loving leaders. Do you have discussions with your children about theology? Let me tell you how an easy way to have discussion with your children about theology would be, no matter their age, turn on the news, watch for five minutes, turn it off, and say, what does God think about that? Because no matter what you just saw on the news, God has thoughts about that. Do you know how to integrate theology into the conversations you have with your wife? Don't be cheesy, don't be forced. Your wife says, "What do you want for dinner?" What an excellent theological decision we need to make there. I mean, we could have meat and protein; that would give us uh, muscles. Uh, that we could have carbs; that would give us energy. You know how God has designed the human body. Can I educate you? That's silly. How do you integrate theology into your conversations? Can I give you a place to start that you might be surprised by? How predictable. And wrote, are your prayers before a meal? I really have to work on this. Because I want to thank God for the meal. Say something else because that's a really short prayer. And then eat. What about praying after the meal? What about praying for someone who genuinely has a need that you know about or your family knows about? What about praying for your kids? How about, you know, tonight, um, uh, little so-and-so, this is your night. We are gonna pray for you and talk about what God's word says about that. Making your family time actually theologically centric where it comes back to what God is, what God has said and who God is. The point is this, backing way up. These four pillars, character, content, commitment, and competency. We could spend years on each one of those. Are these categories that you're aware of, men, that you can talk about? Now, wives, ladies, can I just ask you, if we want to be teachable on these things, would you help us? One of my fears (laughs) is you're going to go to lunch and say, yeah, Rick said we should talk about this. Let's start with number one. Don't do that. And I don't think you would. Encourage and correct and support. Because I I think I know this. I think I can say this. I'm looking at so many faces of so many men sitting in our church right now. I think I can say, wives, your men want to be better, they want to try harder. And it's way easier if we're doing this together and not doing it as a test to pass so that then we get to be strong enough to lead you. Would you help us? No man passes all four of those pillars with flying colors. I don't and you don't. Can we commit to improvement In these things, by talking about them and by studying and by applying and by forgiving and by exercising grace and by encouragement. Let's pray.